Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Welcome to another brevity episode. This one contains some stories I've been sitting on for quite a while, and it's definitely an eclectic bunch. There's even a poem. Episodes like this always intrigue me because I never know which ones will really resonate with you. I'm usually surprised when I hear back about what your favorite story was. Before we begin, I'd also like to say that there is a new guided nightmare on the Patreon page. I'm going to keep trying to deliver extra free content as well here on this channel, but to balance things out and to keep my lights on, I will be doing some extra stuff over on Patreon. Currently, the lowest tier is only $1, and it gives you access to all bonus content, including my ongoing narration of Frankenstein, all the guided nightmares, and more true crime stuff than you see on this normal page. The newest guided nightmare is Lighthouse. And for those of you who are new to the channel and haven't heard of guided nightmares, they're these weird things I created, where I begin each one with meditation and relaxation techniques to get you into a calm and immersive brain space. They're, they definitely aren't everyone's cup of tea, I understand that, which is why they all live over on Patreon. I do have one Guided Nightmare episode on this channel, though, if you scroll back far enough, if you'd like to listen to a whole one before deciding to join. Anyway, enough about all that. On with the stories. This story is by Nasia Perveen, and it's called The Possession. It is Sunday, the 15th day since he left. The smell of his perfume on my bed still lingers. The empty desk, an unfinished painting hanging on the wall, his favorite coffee on the kitchen shelf, all speak of his absence. He was my muse, my motivation for painting. The walls of my room will surely bear a testimony to that. To me, the product of a disintegrated marriage, he came like Apollo with his music. How majestically he moved those beautifully thin fingers on his guitar. His closed eyes, his hair lightly bouncing in the breeze, his fingers caressing the guitar strings softly could almost make a surreal picture which I again and again tried to capture in my canvas. It is overwhelming to think how he could envelop my whole being. How he could bring profuse happiness to my existence. He was not one in a thousand, nor one in a million. To me, he was the only one. Happiness is as fleeting as the skin on a snake's body, my mother used to say, so it never really came as a surprise when he decided to end things between us. Though, I must confess... It left me shattered completely. It's not you, it's me. With this exceptionally corny line. He just left. And along went my muse with him. To this day, I still wonder what what I could have done to make things turn out differently between us. After his retreat from my life, I immersed myself in books from cults to classic... Books from every genre became my latest obsession. 
However, not a single day went by without my missing him terribly. It seemed like with each passing day, my yearning for him only grew stronger. I wanted to be close to him, I wanted to get drunk in him, I wanted to be him. With such irrepressible desires, my days were going on pretty mundanely, when one day, I came across a gem of a book in the library. Contained in its pages, I could find the remedy to all my sufferings and a ticket to my wish fulfillment. The vibration of the phone jolts me back into present. I pack my backpack and get ready to go to the library. As I'm about to lock the door, my eyes go automatically to the bathroom. I come back quickly and ensure its door is properly locked before leaving. Today is Sunday, the 15th day since he left. The third day since I killed him. The coppery taste of his blood in my mouth still lingers. If you devour the flesh, you will also possess the life essence, the book on cannibalism had said. I'm thinking I should start painting again. Don't Let the Bed Bugs Bite by Malcolm Johnson I can still feel the fresh air with that mist in it. The fog blowing in over the water with the sound of the waves crashing in over and over. They never stopped. The air was so clean and the sky was so huge all filled with fog and mist. So open, so clean. The city lights reflected off the fog and everything was filled with a sort of glow, a light. Now it's different. It's stale and closed in and dark. The first time I saw it there in the darkness, I thought I was dreaming. I didn't do anything but stare off to where it scuttled off to dumbly, watching as the shape slipped into the dark and was gone. I just watched it leave without doing anything about it. I just went back to sleep. Idiot. In the morning, I searched the space where I'd seen it, but I didn't, I didn't see anything unusual. I remember sitting with Jen later that day and staring up at the fog. I was cold then, but I'd take being twice as cold over how I feel now. So, what was it? She stirred her coffee and stared at me like she was trying to decide if she was going to smile or frown. I don't know. I think I was just asleep. It didn't make any sense. It was like... It was like freaking E.T. or something. A little kid? I'm sure I was dreaming... Forget it. I managed to laugh, but she was reluctant to join me. Well, have it looked at. It might be a rat or something. A rat or something. Big frickin' rat that walked on its hind legs? Size of a five-year-old. Yeah. You might want to get someone in to look at that. 
I never did have anyone check it. A dream. A nightmare. Who checks that? If I wasn't so scared right now, I'd laugh. I'd laugh my ass off. But I don't make a sound here in the dark of my bedroom as the lights I left on flicker, dim, and go black yet again as I find myself in bed and scared. Yet again. Like a somnambulist in a film. I clamp my eyes shut tight. I can hear it coming closer with small, dragging steps. And I keep my mouth shut and try to pull the sheets up around my nose so I can't smell its breath, which smells stale and like sick vomit. I can hear it. Feel it right in front of my face. Breathes on me and stares. I can feel it staring holes in my face, but I keep my eyes closed tight and pretend to sleep. My body is rigid. I can't move. I don't want to see it. I caught a half glimpse once in a motel in Vancouver and that was bad enough. Back when I thought I could outrun it. Hide from it. I want to scream. But I stay silent. Still, and I keep my eyes closed shut, pretending to sleep until it goes away. God, it's so close. I can feel how close it is. My skin picking up the closeness of it. Its mouth rasps out in little belching gasps of stench. I can feel the bile churning in my stomach. I just wish it would go away. Just go away and leave me alone. But it never does. Here. In the dark. Do I dare open my eyes? And look it in the eyes. Alerts by Harry Latour. I hear the sound in the distance, comparable listening to a distant ocean through a seashell. Moments later, I hear it again, this time with much more clarity. My mind is still filled with the fog of sleep as it churns, attempting to discern the source. Seconds later, like a ton of bricks falling upon me, it hits me. It's the smoke detector in the kitchen. That's the replaced battery signal, I thought. Jesus, why couldn't this happen yesterday or last night? I mutter in disgust. Too tired to take action, I attempt to ignore the irritating sound and seek to return to my slumber. There it goes again. Looks like I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. I yell in frustration while taking my pillows and covering my ears. While internally debating about what to do next, the beep sounds, following with in a female robotic voice. It is coming. What? I thought. Did I hear that correctly? Slowly lowering the pillows, I listen intently. The seconds feel like minutes. 
Then it comes. It is coming. I shoot upward in my bed as a chill races down my back. I didn't imagine the last message. It did say what I thought. How is this possible? I stammer in disbelief. It's only programmed to say fire. Fire! I continue. The next message makes my blood run cold and almost stops my heart. It says in a monotone expression, It is here. Before I can react, in the background, I hear the familiar sound of my smart lock disengaging and my front door opening. Loose Strands by Caitlin McCarthy The gaunt woman hidden in the sickly yellow wallpaper of my bedroom stares back at me in the dark, mocking my loneliness as I take a blanket in my bony fingers and wind the loose strands around them until I'm seconds away from having a prize, a nub or two that I can tuck away in a pocket. When my blanket's been ripped to shreds, I pick at the slivers of skin that jut from the tender flesh surrounding my cuticles with dirty fingernails, with gapped teeth. I tug, desperate to feel that sharp tear, that comforting rip. And when I finally picked my fingers raw, I grasped my tongue between my bloody index finger and shredded thumb, pry it from my mouth, clamp my teeth around the darting muscle, and bite Harder, harder, until the taste of iron floods my taste buds, spilling from the puncture holes made by my own incisors as blood seeps from the corners of my lips. The gaunt woman turns to face me, her crooked, crimson-stained smile mirroring my own. Cinderella by Nina Agalvis Oh, here we go again. Another Cinderella story. What if I told you this story was different? How different, you ask? Well, in this story, dreams do come true, and Cinderella gets what she always wanted. What? Are you telling me this is the exact same thing as all the other stories? Well, you are right, but I haven't told you the story, have I? 
Well, shall we begin? I think we shall. Once upon a time, there lived a beautiful young girl named Cinderella. She lived under her evil stepmother and her beautiful evil stepsisters. Cinderella's dream was to live in the castle with her darling prince. She knows that the day they will meet, they will surely fall in love. Her love for him was so strong, she wished there would come a chance that will change her fate in this dreadful home. The prince is holding a ball in the kingdom in search of a beautiful wife, screamed the stepsister Alice. Cinderella overheard the news and exclaimed with joy, hoping her stepmother would let her go. But what happens? Yes, her stepmother said no, and poor Cinderella cried in her room. But she hadn't given up hope yet. She pulled out a doll, who looked like the prince. She stroked him gently with her bandage-wrapped fingers. My dear prince, I will come to see you, and I will be your bride-to-be. She stayed in her room for hours, pricking her fingers, trying to make a lovely white wedding dress. And with her hard work, she walked out with a beautiful pearl-white ball gown. She rode her horse to the ball and found her beloved prince. It was love at first sight. They danced and they talked and everything seemed swell until she noticed her stepmother and sisters were planning on leaving. She had to leave, and in a hurry, she dropped her shoe on a step on the stairs and hurried back home, staining her beautiful dress in mud and grass. The prince sent his men in search of the woman. He too came along with his men because he wanted to personally see the face of his beloved bride-to-be. As he stepped into Cinderella's home, Alice was the one who he met eyes with. They talked and laughed, and hours went by. It seemed like Alice had won the heart of the prince. Cinderella came running down in her torn-up wedding dress, hoping to surprise her beloved prince. But all that ended when she saw her prince walk away with her stepsister, Alice. No, this can't be, she cried and cried. I loved him. I still love him so dearly. Why did he leave with her? The stepmother came down and yelled at Cinderella. Cinderella, why haven't you done your chores? Go chop up some firewood. This house is feeling dreadfully cold tonight. Cinderella's heart was torn and filled with hate. She walked in her torn-up white dress and took the axe. He loved me. If only I came down sooner. If only she let me down sooner. Cinderella continued to mumble to herself as she dragged the axe up to her stepmother's room. Cinderella, where is the firewood? I ask you to... Cinderella? C Cinderella, my, my darling, what do you think? Yeah. Screams filled the house as Cinderella hammered down the axe and severed her stepmother's body. The corpse was dragged to the fireplace and burned like firewood. In came her stepsister, Alicia. Cinderella, I asked you to make a new dress for me. I can't believe Alice is living her life with the prince. He was rightfully mine. 
oblivious to the object Cinderella was holding in the dark room. The last words Alicia heard from her was, He was rightfully mine. Cinderella wore a torn dress of white and red. She carried an axe in her hand and a coffin on her back. Inside the coffin, you could hear the squish, squash sounds of Alicia's chopped up body moving around as Cinderella rode her horse to the castle. As she walked in, the first person she met eyes with was her sister, Alice. You stole him. He loved me. How could you? Alice was frightened by the insane woman crying with an axe in her hand. Don't worry. I brought Alicia over. She will be able to keep you company in the castle. (laughs) Cinderella laughed as Alice's screams filled the castle. The prince heard his darling's screams and came running to see Cinderella stuff her into a coffin dripping with blood and filled with the mashed corpses of her dear sisters. Cinderella turned to her prince. My darling prince, you came to me. I love you so much. I'm so happy you are here with me. Cinderella's dream came true. She embraced and gently stroked the cold cheeks of her darling, breathless prince. I love you, and we can finally live happily ever after. The end. So, this is the story of Cinderella. Didn't I tell you that dreams come true, and Cinderella got what she always wanted? It's exactly the same story! Don't you wish you had a girl who loved you that much? I guess it didn't really matter what happened in the story, but as long as there is a happily ever after, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, right? Something I Can't Explain by Anna Lise I woke up to a ring of the doorbell. What time is it? I grabbed my phone off my windowsill. Ten o'clock in the morning. I heard my mom walk down the hallway and open the door. I guess it was a package because I heard no other interaction. A few seconds later, my mom walked into my room holding a box. It's for you, she said. I grabbed the box and said thanks. The box had no return address, so somebody hand-delivered it. I was a little wary of opening the package, so I shoved it in my closet. A few days later, another mysterious package was handed to me from my open doorway after the doorbell woke me up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Still no return address. After two more packages, I got too curious. I grabbed the three packages from my closet and set them down on the floor. Then I padded to the kitchen and grabbed a box cutter from my kitchen drawer. Anticipation building with each step. When I got into my room, I sat down cross-legged on the floor and cut open the earliest package I'd received. Oh my god. Inside the box was an envelope of pictures. Pictures of water, dirt, and grass. 
This had to be a prank from one of the neighbors. I opened the second box. Inside was a shoebox. I opened the shoebox. Inside the shoebox was a small keychain. It had a little card on it. The card had writing on it. It had an address on it. For Missouri. I started to think that this was all just BS, so I opened the third and fourth boxes. In the third box were two pieces of paper. One of the pieces of paper was a triangle. On the second piece of paper was a note. It read, Open the box. In the fourth box were packing peanuts and a terrible smell coming from the box. My hands were shaking as I dug through the packing peanuts. I stopped digging and started to gag. Inside the box was a hand. A severed hand. WTF by Harry Latour The alarm goes off and I grudgingly reach out and press the snooze button. Happily, I return to dreamland. Five minutes later, the alarm goes off again, and I slowly rise while turning off the alarm. Attempting to rub away the sand of sleep from my eyes, I rise off the bed, a little disoriented, and head towards the bathroom. As I enter the bathroom, I flip the switch, and the bright overhead white light reveals an ordinary apartment bathroom. My journey ends at the sink. I yell to my smart speaker sitting on my hallway table to play the morning news. The familiar sounds of the anchors gradually edges me back from my zombie state. Looking at myself through the mirror, I make a mental joke of how I look more like a corpse than my usual morning self. I reach for the bathroom cabinet and swing it open to grab my toothbrush. I place the brush on the side of the sink and proceed to close the cabinet. Something clangs on the bathroom floor tiles. I instinctively look downwards and perform a quick search. Nothing. I return my gaze to the mirror, my mouth agape, and eyes bulge as big as small saucers. There, in the mirror, my image ever so slowly lifts her head to reveal a devilish smile, and then proceeds to mouth, Oops. A small scream escapes me as the other rushes the mirror and stops an inch away. I recoil backwards as the tips of her fingers emerge from my side of the mirror. Knees quake and I swallow hard. More of my doppelganger emerges from the mirror while I freeze in fear. With much effort, I force myself to run. While my back faces her, from the corner of my eyes, one of its outstretched hands barely misses grabbing hold of one of my arms. I manage to escape the bathroom and slam the door shut. From inside, I hear a bone-chilling shriek. It sounded like a mixture of anger and frustration. I pull on the knob for dear life as it pounds on the door. Just as pounding reaches its apex, it suddenly stops. The sudden silence is deafening. The hairs on my arms and back of my neck prick as unease twists my stomach. A vile laugh erupts from within the bathroom, followed by, I have all the time in the world to wait for you to tire or get thirsty. It continues, This is a one-time offer. Choose to be consumed 
or live out your days in my side of the mirror. Tick tock, time is ticking. Following the message is stillness as I can feel its eyes gaze at me through the door. Uncertainty hangs as my mind races to figure out what to do next. Should I choose option A or B? Both are equally terrifying. Slowly, I realize the strain of pulling the knob is draining me. I will need to make a decision sooner rather than later. The Rhyming Ramblings of the Recently Departed by Vanessa Kennedy It may be a bit odd, but at times you'll give an agreeing nod to what I have to say about that strange day. It started out like any other, but something was a bother. The winds had changed, things had been rearranged. What was up was no longer pushed up, What was down was all run down. What was right was no longer all right. What was left was a victim of theft. This wasn't the world I once knew. It was all brand new. I was now in a new place, a new time and space. Everything was dull and gray, and all I wanted to know was why it was this way. Life vibrant and bright, and this wasn't quite right. The air was all foggy and hazy. The world had gone crazy. The ground was hot. Everything smelled like rot. The earth groaned as the wind moaned. Its pain reviled my own. As its call was thrown, I needed to get out. There was no doubt. My tears died as I cried. This couldn't be real. This is nowhere close to ideal. Where had I gone, you ask? Well, that, my dear, is a drooling task. There was no need to shout. There was no way out. The die had been cast. I had realized I had passed straight into hell by means of a well. Now, our last story of the evening was tucked here at the end because it may be something many of you would like to skip. It talks extensively about a fictional mass shooting, so please feel free to bid me adieu for tonight and turn off the episode. Sweet dreams, I'll give you a few seconds to take off those dish gloves or put down that drill or whatever you need to do so you can grab your phone and pause real quick. I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, I think we're in the safe zone now. Um, If not, don't worry, I'm not going to jump right into the story. I'm going to give a little explanation for why I included it. So this story was sent to me by someone who had experience with another more modern shooting and seemed to be inspired by the darkness that he felt. I included it because even though it isn't what most would consider horror necessarily, It's definitely true life horror, and it's told solely from the perspective of the victims, the very confused perspective. I am a big fan of true crime, and as I'm sure many of you are listening to this, true crime and horror podcasts tend to have a lot of crossover audiences, 
One thing I've noticed in the true crime community is that far too often I hear podcasts where the hosts can't even be bothered to remember victims' names. It's all about the killer. And I'm not stupid. I get it. The killer is why we listen. They are the part we don't understand and we want to figure out. And I feel like sometimes the victims get a little bit overshadowed by the killer. And, you know, again, it's, it is a difficult balance. I'm not going to call anyone out because I understand. And I, I don't do a true crime podcast. It's a hard balance between let's talk about why this killer did this, maybe like what was going through their heads versus, you know, their victims. And you've got to remember their victims. And sometimes they have multiple victims, especially when it comes to something like a mass shooting. And do you talk about each and every one of them? Maybe it's a better idea to not really talk about their private lives because they didn't give you know, they didn't do anything to warrant and give permission for you to talk about them. Anyway, I I understand that it's very difficult and it's a very weird place to be. And I, my hat's off to true crime podcasters who have to walk that tightrope, you know, all the time and week to week. This story is very sad. Don't get me wrong. This is a, this story is a bummer, (laughs) quite frankly, but it's a very realistic version of what happens to the people whose names you don't remember, at least from this author's perspective, who he explained to me, you know, how he was feeling during the event that he went through. Um, anyway, I've been rambling forever. I'm going to hop off the soapbox and just get on with the story already. I just wanted to give you guys a little backstory about why this is kind of a left field thing. And I know it's a very sensitive subject. Again, feel free to, I always tell you guys this, feel free to skip any stories that you feel are not good for you right now, because I care more about your health and well-being than I care about having that 100% listened on Apple um, podcasts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's a dumb podcast thing. But anyway, on with the story. So this is two minutes. 37 by Nicholas Hilling. I'd already had a few drinks, so when I went to put the beer on the table, I missed very slightly. I placed it on the edge of the iron wireframe patio table and could see from the corner of my eye the bottle fall to the cement in slow motion. It turned as it spun hitting the hard ground on the neck and shattering into a dozen pieces which glittered in the harsh lighting as they danced crazily. I bent to begin picking up the shards and that was the last normal moment of my life. It was only by that incredible chance I was not standing like all the others around me when Richard Speck opened fire from the passenger seat of a 1999 black Ford F-150 as it slowly drove up the street. His brother, William Speck, the owner of the truck, was behind the wheel, and in the short intervals between deafening explosions, I could hear one of them cackling like a demon. My father had always been what many of my friends would call a gun nut, so I knew the sound instantly, before it even consciously registered. I dropped the rest of the way to the ground, one small sliver of glass driving itself deep into my left elbow as I covered my head with my arms. A second later, the patio went mad, with dozens of people following my lead, hiding behind the ugly metal rails which marked the perimeter of the patio. 
Screams of pain, of panic, of absolute horror quickly overpowered the sound of laughter and the truck's engine as it continued down the street. I looked up to see my brother, who had been standing in front of me moments before, bleeding profusely and dead already. Part of his skull was completely erased, his remaining dead right eye staring at me. My stomach heaved and I turned away, closing my eyes tightly as the contents of this evening's festivities threatened to evacuate my body. When I opened them, I saw my girlfriend Sally a few feet from me, clutching her own stomach as her lifeblood seeped onto the warm evening ground. She looked back at me, eyes pleading, mouth open in a scream, just one of what seemed a million. Quickly as I could, whole body trembling, I crawled my way to her and wrapped her in my shaky arms. Further down the street, I could hear over the sound of the shrieks more rounds being fired into innocent men and women. I closed my eyes to the carnage all around me, and those who were capable began fleeing in terror to get indoors. The patio turned to chaos, and survivors pushed and shoved one another out of the way to escape the scene. I flinched with each additional report of the rifle I had only briefly seen, quickly drawing in a breath as there was a momentary pause between explosions. A couple heartbeats later, the firing resumed, and I flinched again and again and again. I could hear people inside calling the police as the sound of the gunfire drew further away. The shrill squeals of shocked youth explaining the situation to the authorities. But all my mind could focus on was holding Sally, blocking the brief vision of my brother from my mind through sheer willpower. Again, I heard a lapse in fire. Then two more shots from what my ears told me was a pistol, followed by the distant sound of the truck crashing into another vehicle. And within just minutes, it was over. Less than a minute later, I heard the screeching of sirens as they approached from multiple directions and opened my eyes to see the flickering red and blue of salvation. Sally was breathing shallowly, unconscious, her arms now slackened around the gaping wound in her abdomen. Another minute, and the first responders were pulling her from my grip. And that is where my memory fades. The next memory I have was waking in a chair. Early in the morning hours the following day, in the hospital waiting room awaiting news of Sally. My eyes puffy from tears, my throat harsh and dry from sobbing. The following hours were similar as I awaited news of my best friend and love of my life still in surgery. After three hours or so more, a doctor came to tell me that she was out of surgery and had been stabilized, and hospital staff had contacted her parents who lived across the country. They got on the first available flight and arrived almost six hours later. When they arrived, they were met by overloaded staff tending to dozens of other family members, but were eventually ushered to wait beside me. Her mother embraced me, though we had only met once before, and her father asked me to tell him everything. I was unable to get the words out of my mouth and managed only to break down once more into sobs. Sally's mother squeezed me tight again and held me until my crying ebbed to a whimper. In time, we were allowed to see her, and the three of us spent nearly every moment in her room for the next week, before she was finally released from the intensive care and was taken to another wing of the hospital. Though she had awakened several times, she was only lucid for brief bursts during her stay in the ICU. 
Finally, she came to completely in the recovery wing, nine days after the shooting, and I finally allowed myself to put aside my concern for her, however briefly, and began to mourn my brother. The guilt for not having done so sooner was overwhelming, and Sally tried to hold me as I broke, though her parents stopped her for fear of reopening the wound. So she held my hand and cried with me, and I felt, finally, healing could begin. To this day, nearly a year later, Sally rarely ventures from our shared apartment for fear of seeing more violence, fear of once again being a victim. I cannot possibly blame her, though I cannot help but slightly resent that she did not go to my brother's funeral. Our parents died when we were young, and both were only children, so the service had been lacking in familial support. Still, we have tried to move on with life, therapy, and support groups, and many nights held in each other's arms, crying until we finally fell asleep. But I know nothing will ever erase the horror of that evening. Of those few brief moments that changed my whole world and robbed me of my brother. Those two minutes and 37 seconds that took 14 lives, not counting the monsters who committed the act, wounded 20 more and destroyed the lives of hundreds. Perhaps the worst part of it all, the attack was politically motivated, targeting establishments frequented by my city's young, largely progressive population. Disgusting creatures who believed what they did was righteous according to a manifesto that they had plastered around the internet just prior to the attack. In it, they stated, the only way to save the country is to excise the liberal cancer within. But my brother was the least political person on the planet. He believed in the good of mankind, in everyone. He had been out that night, same as any time he went out, to celebrate community, he said ad nauseum. However, I can no longer believe that mankind is good. My faith in my peers as generally more good than bad has been shattered, and I don't think it will ever return. I've tried to join groups seeking gun reform, but I'm unable to bring myself to care. Tried to help others struggling with loss, but again, I'm unable to care. I find myself at a loss, adrift in a sea of grief and disgust and strangely, apathy. My life may not be over, but the life I had prior to those not-quite-three-minutes died the second I saw my brother's lifeless eyes staring back at me. I see it every night when I sleep. It wheedles its way into my thoughts when I am awake. It has destroyed my concentration, my ability to work. My previous life ended that night, and I don't know how to build a new one. So I cling to Sally, and she to me as a lifeboat in the aforementioned inky black sea of despair. Thanks for listening. Listener Kim C. wrote in requesting the sound of rain on an umbrella for the outro, and I am happy to oblige. I hope you enjoy it. I'm so happy to also welcome my new Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to... Randy Hager, Jennifer Clark, Jacob Cuthbert, David, Tiffany Cap, Lisa Carbone Lurie, Redcoat, Kista Hansen, Liar Liar, Max Hennig, and Deanne Tronstall. 
Thank you so much, all of you. And I recognize a lot of your names. I know I've interacted with you on Twitter or just through email or on Facebook. And thank you just so much to all of you. You have no idea how much this means to me. And uh, it, it just you guys are my heart. I'm sending you so much love and light and happiness. I want to send a huge big thank you also to all the essential workers out there. Truck drivers like my awesome cousin Andy. Hi, Andy. I know you listen. Retail workers, medical workers, first responders, delivery drivers, anyone who is out there risking their health to make all of our lives as normal and easy as possible. And to everyone else, please remember to be kind to all of those who are out there. Tip your delivery drivers. Don't yell at grocery store workers. That should be an easy one, but it has been proven that it has not been easy for a lot of people lately. (laughs) Please be patient. They deserve our kindness. If any of you have spent any of this time writing, then remember, you can send your submissions to scarytosleep at gmail.com. You can follow the show on all the social medias. I've also started slowly adding all of my episodes to YouTube, just to give you an extra way to listen if you prefer using that. It's just a static image of each week's thumbnail on with the audio playing, but from what I've heard, a lot of people use YouTube to listen to podcasts, so there they are. They're not all up yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> I think that's all. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.